Well, today we wrap up our sermon series in the book of Philippians. The series is titled Growing with Joy, two things that don't seem to go together, <laughs> uh, great spiritual growth and joy, uh, but in the gospel they are possible. Uh, let me ask you, over these last three months, do you feel like you have grown, that you have matured uh, in the gospel? And, and is this growth making you joyful? I sure hope it has. You remember how this letter began after Paul uh, praised the Philippians for their partnership, financial partnership in his gospel ministry. He wrote these words. You remember them? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel brings an amazing promise, the promise of God that he will not leave us where we are in our doubts, in our fears, in our struggles. And, and, and it tells us that God transforms us over time to be more and more like his own son, Jesus Christ. In the remaining verses of this letter, Paul wants to teach the Philippians something that is vitally important to the Christian life. It's a lesson that Paul had to learn, that the Philippians are learning, it appears, and it's certainly a lesson that we all can learn from. What is this lesson? Well, it's the lesson of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. The, the, gra uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that these words have come down to us. 
Um, we thank you that Paul has um, experienced your grace and that we have as well, and that the same spirit which gave life to Jesus Christ dwells in your church. So we pray that that spirit would enliven our minds and our hearts. This is a difficult topic, and um, it's one in which we all need to grow. Um, may we experience your mercy and your grace in this time of learning, we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, are you content? Right now, right in your circumstances, are you content? Have you learned the secret of contentment? Do you know the secret of contentment? I mean, could you jot down on a piece of paper right now one sentence that demonstrates that you know what contentment is and where it comes from? Perhaps honestly, you don't know. In the quietness of your heart, as you look in the mirror, you say, no, I'm not content. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've not arrived at contentment. I'm not living in contentment. Well, if you're honest enough to admit your struggle with contentment and are willing to hear God's way to experience contentment, I have good news for you this morning. Paul says to us, he says, the gospel produces in us a contentment that steadies our souls for the ups and the downs of life so that we may live and give with great power and joy. In this passage, he teaches us five things about gospel contentment. I'm indebted to League and Duncan for a few of them, but there's five things. Paul Here's what we're going to look at. Paul teaches us about the need for contentment, the nature of contentment, the secret of contentment, teaches about the fruit of contentment, and then about the promise of contentment. First, God wants his people to be content. Did you hear that? God wants his people to be content, not necessarily wealthy, though I know there's supposedly Christians on TV or who stand in pulpits all around America who preach what's called the prosperity gospel. They tell their listeners that God, he wants all of his people to be financially rich. All you have to do is just have enough faith and, uh, well, of course, maybe give some money to our ministry (laughs) and you just watch. God will take your $1,000 seed of faith And, well, he'll turn it into $100,000 if you have enough faith, of course. But God's priority is not to make you wealthy. God's priority is that you would be content as his child, no matter your circumstances, so that you would be freed from these anxieties to live a fruitful, God-honoring life. And so the first step to finding contentment from God is knowing that you need contentment and that he desires it for you. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am, what? To be content. He is commending to the Philippians his state of contentment. And he's saying to them, That he wants them to be content. That God wants them to live in a state of contentment. In other words, Paul is saying here, Christians are to be content. And you know, Paul talks a lot about this. Consider elsewhere, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says, 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Now, do you remember the context? Listen to the circumstances in 2 Corinthians to which he says this. Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. In which you're thinking, I think he needs a shrink, right? He's a little bit crazy here. But for Paul, it's very important. And here's how he follows up. What does he say? He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Or consider 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, where he says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Contentment is a big deal for Paul. He taught his student, the, the author of our letter to the Philippians, or the, the, to the Hebrews. He, here's what that author wrote in Hebrews 13, verse 5. We read, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Check this out. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. God is concerned that his children would be content. It's significant. It's important for the Christian life. Now for the nature of contentment. Verse 11 tells us something about the nature of contentment. Look at what he says at the end of verse 11. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Did you catch that? For I have Learned. Isn't that an encouragement? Paul had to learn contentment. That's great. Paul had to learn how to be content. He didn't just see Jesus and all of a sudden become content. (laughs) Although there is a contentment that comes when we know our sins are forgiven, right? But there's a process of learning how to be content in this world. Paul had to learn it. And so this gives hope to you and me. That we too can learn to be content. See, if you're not living in a state of contentment, join the club. Paul had to learn contentment. The question is, do you really want to learn contentment? (laughs) I hope you do. But here's what I want you to see. You are more apt to seek and find real gospel contentment when you sense your lack of it. That is, when things are going relatively well in your life. That is, your circumstances are providing you with contentment. And for some of you, that's where you're finding your contentment is in your good circumstances at the moment. But if things are going relatively well and you're finding your contentment there, then chances are you will not seek contentment in the gospel. It will pass you by. You will not see a need for it. This is why Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the rich man can mistake circumstantial contentment for gospel contentment. He can mistake a superficial, temporal contentment with a deep and permanent and eternal contentment. And he cannot seek real contentment because he doesn't sense his lack of real contentment. 
because he's in circumstances that make him content. My friends, one of the reasons why so many of our neighbors on the East End won't even give Christianity a listen is because they're sufficiently content. I'm not saying they're perfectly content, but they're just one or two big moves away from being content. One more sale, one more house to build, or one more fill in the blank, and then I'll arrive. Often what must take place in your life is that some hardship must come in that strips your life of all self-sufficiency and causes you to realize that contentment really is not in your hands. Only then will you be ready to listen to the gospel and receive it with joy. So perhaps you're sitting in the pew this morning and you're saying, you know, Mark, I am deeply discontent. Well, there's good news for you. You are more likely to seek real contentment in the only place that it can be found in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Thankfully, you and I can learn contentment. Now, for the secret of contentment. You know, in Paul's day, the Stoics were really popular. Uh, They claimed that they had a secret for contentment. For instance, Seneca made this claim. He said, the wise man is sufficient unto himself for a happy existence. This stoical, pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps approach to life sounds pretty good. But in the end, it only leads to pridefulness or despair. Pridefulness, look at me, I'm I'm the captain of my own ship. Or despair, what a failure, I can't do this. Now today there exists a similar approach to life. Out of the New Age movement of the last century comes this new spirituality of the self. The teaching says that you have all the power and resources within you. You just need to, to know it and harness it. This is characteristic of the best-selling book and and movie, The Secret, by Rhonda Byrne. Perhaps you've read it. I have. Byrne lures you in by telling you what you want to hear, that the secret of contentment, it's in your hands. You just have to unleash it. You have to harness this so-called secret law of attraction. Here's a snake oil, a sample of the snake oil she's peddling. And yes, I read read the book, watched the movie. Here's a quote. She says this, and it really is appealing. You have a choice right now. Do you want to believe that it's just the luck of the draw and bad things can happen to you at any time? Of course not. Do you want to believe that that you can be at the wrong place at the wrong time, that you have no control of your circumstances? Or do you want to believe and know that your life experience is in your hands and that, that only all good can come into your life Because that is the way you think. You have a choice. And whatever you choose to think will become your life experience. Nothing can come into your experience unless you summon it through persistent thoughts. I hope you see how bogus that mentality is. It sucks people in. It's very popular in an affluent culture. But go try to peddle that, those wares, in a a community around the world where people are just suffering in poverty. You know, you just think your way out of this bad situation, right? Byrne says that she has the secret of contentment. She doesn't. The Stoics say that they have the secret to contentment. They don't. Paul says he has the secret to contentment. He does. Look at verse 12. 
He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says that the secret allows him to be content when he's brought low or when he's abounding. Now, the word brought low here in the Greek is not a typical word you would use for like saying you, you have a want or a, or a need. It's, it's the Greek word to, to, to be humbled. Um, why would he choose this word? Perhaps because the Stoics hated the word humility or humiliation. But perhaps more likely, it's because, yes, this word speaks of poverty, but it also points us to our Lord who came into this world in humiliation, took on flesh, gave his life as a ransom for many. And Paul's point is that just as Jesus has um, walked this way on earth, so too all who follow after him, we walk in humility. We live lives that are brought low. And we're content. Now, did you notice that Paul said that he has learned to be content not only in poverty, but also when he abounds? Now, you know, we would all like to think that we would be dutiful, happy, fully tithing Christians if we could just get to a point where we're financially abounding, right? Well, don't be so sure of it. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 8. There God warns the nation of Israel not to forget the Lord their God once they experience what? the plenty of the promised land. And if you know the story of Israel after they entered the promised land, what happened? In their plenty, they forgot the Lord. Don't be so sure that if you just get that one more big sale and you finally get that pay raise that you're going to be generous. Statistical studies show that the wealthier you are, the less you give as a percentage. The people who give the largest percent are those in the bottom two quintiles of the population. So this is what you might not like to hear but need to hear. If you're not generous now with whatever you have, you will not become generous with the big pay increase. And so if you're ever to mature in the area of joyful, generous giving, you have to do it now, where you are. If you feel like you're currently living in a brought low life, learn the secret of contentment. Give now. Be generous now. Perhaps the reason why God hasn't given you more resources now is because you haven't proved yourself to be a faithful steward with what you already have been given. Now, most of us here, and this might be hard to grasp, but most of us here, according to Paul's definition, are abounding financially. What does Paul use? What words does he use to contrast plenty and abundance? Hunger and need. Are you hungry for lack of food? Are you in need of of housing or clothes or transportation? It's possible you are, and at at this church we have resources for you. Talk to me, talk to our surf team. We'd be glad to help you in those areas. But chances are, by the Bible's definition, you have plenty. (laughs) You have abundance. You are abounding. You just don't have eyes to see it. It's kind of hard here on the East End, in the Hamptons, right? It's like, it's so expensive to live here, and it seems like everybody around you is a multimillionaire. So I kind of get it. 
The truth is, we're an abounding church. We're an abounding people. We live in abounding land. Some of you are really abounding financially. Some of you have enough resources that if you lived modestly with contentment, you could give 30, 40, 50% all over the world to wonderful groups and organizations. You might think that's crazy. But when you come to understand that everything you have is ultimately God's and you, and you stop spending, uh, but rather start um, stewarding his resources, you'd be surprised what you can do with your life. It's not crazy. When you have contentment in your life, you want to give to the maximum. You know, this past week I read dozens of stories of Christians who have learned to be content with what they have. I, I have a lot to learn from them myself. One story is that of Jerry and Muriel Caven. After successfully establishing a restaurant chain, two banks, a ranch, farm and real estate ventures, Jerry says that that's when the fun really began. At age 59... Here's what he says. I was headed into retirement looking for a nice lake home. Then God changed our plans and led Muriel and me to put our money and time overseas. It's been exciting. Before we gave token amounts, now we put substantial money into missions. Our hearts are in another country now. We visit and minister there often. What changed their attitude towards giving? He says, It was realizing God's ownership that God threw to us. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money to God's work, we had peace and joy uh, that that we never had back when we thought it was our money. (laughs) After seeing the, the way poor Christians in other countries trust him, we've asked God if he wants us to give away all of our money. He hasn't led us to do that yet, but we've meant it when we've asked. Yeah, and one of the big results of our giving is that we no longer hold things too close to our hearts. We can let them go, realizing they won't last, but we will. There's a reason that 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money, possessions, their use, and our relationship with them. Jesus never condemned wealth in and of itself. But he knows how easily our hearts can make money our God. Jesus knows and he wants us to know that one of the greatest, if not the greatest hindrances to the spiritual life and to spiritual growth is material wealth and the temptations that it brings. Paul said he's learned how to be content in whatever situation. The end of verse 12, he writes, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know, I hope you see this. Paul is saying that contentment does not come from favorable circumstances. But still, that's not the secret. The secret to contentment is in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I can be wealthy and I can be poor. I can be full or I can be hungry. It matters not because Christ strengthens me. That's the context of that verse. Now, some of you aren't going to be happy with what I'm about to say. You're already mad at me, I guess. But but I think maybe in the long run, you will be. All right, so listen. So Philippians 4.13 is one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible. 
Tim Tebow used to write it on his cheek in black grease before playing a football game. Youth pastors uh, have their students memorize the verse so they can pray it before a, a big exam. Here is what one writer says to help correct these mistakes. Uh, Chris Swain writes, Philippians 4.13 is not about winning a football game. It's not about passing a big test. It's not about getting accepted to a certain college. And it's not about getting in one more rep on your workout. I have stood on the floor of a Christian school gym in which this verse is painted on the court. I've listened to locker room motivational speeches by coaches using this verse to fire up the team. I've seen it tattooed on the bicep of football players at both college and pro level. For too long, Christians have referenced this verse like it gives them some sort of superpower. The truth is that by invoking Philippians 4.13, we cannot dodge bullets, gain super strength, or leap tall buildings in a single bound. So what was Paul's intent um, talking about when he wrote, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me? Contentment. That's right. Paul was helping the Philippian church know that no matter the circumstances, whether poor or hungry or in prison, he was able to endure through Jesus. It was not about achieving anything. It was about being content no matter what comes our way through Christ's strength. He goes on to say this. Just picture a baseball player stepping up to bat, getting ready to swing and thinking to himself, I'm content whether I hit the ball or strike out. That would be the proper context. But what coach is going to give a halftime speech and when he says, hey guys, win or lose, it's okay. We don't find contentment in a win. We find it in Christ. The truth is, that would be pretty awesome. Eric Bargerhoff, um, yeah, that's his real name, uh, and I'm Middlecoff, so who should say? But he wrote a book titled, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, and yeah, Philippians 4.13 is in there. He writes, contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not teach, God will give you the strength to do whatever you set your mind to. God is not a heavenly bellhop or divine sugar daddy or cosmic power plant to fill your dream quest. Instead, the Bible teaches, listen, the Bible teaches God is a sustainer when life feels unsustainable. God is a sustainer when life feels unsustainable. He goes on to say, and if you're like me, this is a good news message. Because my experience is that life is messy and thorny and unpredictable and chock full of disappointments. Most of them a result of my own doing. I don't need a God who motivates me to pursue my career dreams or chase down opportunities for personal advancement. I possess that drive on my own. Instead, I need a God who hunkers down in life's trenches with me, who who isn't afraid to get mucky and messy and wade with me through tragedy and pain and failure. The God of the Bible, Jesus, is better than we've imagined because he gives us what we actually need. Strength to survive in our moments of weakness and a sense of freedom, even when in life's prisons. The secret to contentment, no matter your circumstances, is that Christ, that in Christ, God supplies all the strength you will ever need. 
So whether you are abounding or being brought low, turn to Christ. Lean on him. Ask him to give you his divine strength. You know, God will never ask you to do something that he will not provide the necessary strength and power for. You know, some of you here are frightened by the prospect of becoming someone who gives lavishly to the work of Christ. You don't even want to begin to look at your own heart out of fear. You may find that your heart clings to things more than it clings to Christ. But cheer up. You can do all things, including a deep heart inspection, because Christ strengthens you. In fact, God never calls us to do anything that we can do on our own. God doesn't add to our strength. The things that God calls us to do are things we never could even begin to do on our own. And yet he calls us to do them and he gives us the strength. And one of the hardest things for us to begin to do that he calls us to do is to be content. And by golly, we need his strength for that. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to go there. I'm content in my discontent because I know if God takes me to a true contentment, my life's really going to have to change. How about you? But God says, if we enter into that learning process, if we just commit to that, if we just say, I don't know where it's going to take me, I'm afraid of where I'm just going to go, am I going to be poor by being rich in Christ? The Lord will give you strength to go through that process. That's what that verse is about. It's not about throwing a touchdown, okay? Stop using it that way. Not that you can't throw a touchdown. I'm all for touchdowns. Especially when the Giants are playing, the Cowboys. (laughs) All right. Now for the fruit of contentment. What really is the main point of this passage? Is, is, the, is it the secret of contentment? I don't think so. Paul got sidetracked for the moment. Paul was like, okay, thanks for the gift, but um, I, I really got more important things with you, and I'm so thankful for it, but um, you know, I want you to know I'm content whether I get it or not. But okay, so but let's get on to the main point. Paul's big point that he is making is that he's so delighted in the generosity of this Philippian church. It's a sign that they are mature Christians. That they're maturing. None of the other churches would give to Paul. Perhaps you're thinking, well, maybe the Philippians are rich. No, they're not. (laughs) They were not abounding. They were living brought low lives. The churches in Thessalonica that Paul started, or the, uh, you know, um, Corinth, the church in Rome, far more financial resources, yet they weren't giving. The Philippians were, and it pleased Paul. Paul says in verse 14, he calls it what? A kindness. In verse 18, Paul says that he's fully supplied thanks to their sacrificial generosity. And so ultimately, this final section is about Paul thanking them and reminding them of how God is with them and how God provides for them. This final section is about Paul rejoicing at this growing maturity of this church that he loves so much. You know, it's true that sometimes when pastors talk about money, they just want to hit you over the head with a stick, make you feel guilty, so you give more so the church has a bigger budget, you know. Um, 
But being a faithful pastor, I hope I fall in that category. That's not the concern here for Paul. See, joyful, generous giving is a sign of a mature church. Paul likes what he sees. He's so pleased. He didn't need their gift, but he's thankful for it. But it was not his priority with the Philippians. Whether he got the gift or not, he would have gotten by. Why? Because God supplies the strength he needs. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. It's right there. I'm not really seeking the gift. All right, then what gets him so excited? Well, read on. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The more we mature as Christians, the more good fruit we produce. Jesus talked about that, right? The good tree produces good fruit, right? One of the clearest signs that a person or a church is alive in Christ is their fruitfulness and their contentment. Is this a content church? Are we a mature church? Those are things we need to be thinking about. Mature Christians give generously despite their circumstances because they've learned, like Paul and the Philippians, the secret of contentment. So Paul's ending this letter by letting them know that he sees such wonderful fruit in this church. In verse 18, he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We've come a long way as a church. I think we can pray that prayer that we would grow in this area as well. That our church would be a church that bears a lot of fruit. May our lives not be wrapped up in over-concern for things of this world. But may we be alive in Christ, living for his kingdom. You know, when we commit to learning this fruit of contentment, it comes with a promise, a promise of contentment. That's our last point. You know, it's almost as if Paul can read our minds, you know. He hears us thinking, well, this is nice and all, Paul. I'd really like to be that person, you know. I'd really like to just really trust you and just give so generously. But what if I commit to learning to be content and I, like, make some, like, crazy commitment and and then this bill lands on my lap? And, you know, what if financial hardship comes? You know, I don't know. I think that way. Am I the only one who thinks that way? We're like, I don't know, because really if I'm all in, then what if I fall on my face? And, you know, here's what Paul says. Paul tells us that of a promise that must give us confidence as we commit to begin learning contentment. Verse 9, he says these famous words. Sometimes we take these out of context too. Verse 19, and my God will supply Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul assures us that if we go out on a limb to learn contentment, God will supply every need that we have. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe this? If you do, you can begin moving forward. God might not resupply you financially, but he can and will give you his peace. Remember last week, the God of peace gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember that? 
Maybe that's what you get. You know, maybe you live in a double wide, as content as can be, because the peace of God is upon you. But it's also true that He can and often does replenish our finances so that we can keep on bearing fruit. You think I'm making up? Read the story of the of the stewards, you know. Well done, good and faithful steward. I'm going to give you more so you can use it more for my purposes here on earth. You know, um, a number of you remember Florian uh, Koch. He became a Christian through this church. He remains a member. He lives in Germany now. After becoming a Christian, Florian was challenged with tithing. At first, he kicked back a little bit at it. And, um, but he began to see that it was something that he wanted to do. He needed to do. He thought it would please the Lord. Um, But he was on a grad student's income. He worked a part-time job at the public house. He has a wife and four kids. (laughs) But he trusted God's promise that God would provide. And you know, over the years, he has shared with me a number of instances where he was giving faithfully, And then all of a sudden, like a bill would land on his lap, a car repair or something like that, or some kid's trip to somewhere. And, you know, he says, Mark, he would tell me a story of a check just coming in the mail, or he'd share the story of just a incredibly crazy, huge tip night at the public house. He was able to look me in the eye and says, you know, Mark, I'm trusting God in this, and he's providing my supply. You know, there's many Christians who miss out on that. Because they don't trust God enough to to give joyfully and sacrificially. They never get to experience the joy of God meeting their daily supply. You want to talk about finding contentment? It's allowing yourself to go through this process and see yourself really sacrificially giving and God providing all you need and a great joy at the meantime. That's what many Christians miss out on. As your pastor, I want us to experience that. I want to hear more and more stories. I know some of you got stories like that. Some of you have had many stories of how God has provided for you time and time again. But the truth is, some of us miss out on these stories because we're not involved. Or we're not seeking to grow and to learn contentment in all things. So where does this leave you this morning? I don't know. Maybe you're agitated. (laughs) Maybe you're excited. I don't know. My hope is that we all will just commit to continue to grow in this area of contentment. It is so critically important. Without contentment, we're not set free to be useful and fruitful for God's kingdom. Never mind just the giving part. I'm just talking about serving and loving and having outward eyes. If we're in discontent, we're not equipped for that. So, God desires our contentment. May we desire our contentment as well. And may we know where it comes from through Christ who lived and died for us, that we might find contentment and truth and hope in him. May we, content, may we commit to learn this wonderful fruit of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, it's a fearful thing at times to be a Christian because the way of Christ is so counterintuitive to the ways of this world. Our own hearts tell us, no, don't do it. And yet we know that in Christ we have the strength to do it. I pray for our church that we would be joyful, delightful church um, that experiences the, daily your grace 
as you meet our every need. May we know how to be content, whether we are hungry or well-fed, whether we are in brought low or abounding. Um, may our eyes always be upward and outward, we pray. Amen.